Teachings that do not speak of pain have no meaning, because humankind cannot gain anything without first giving something in return. In alchemy, to obtain something, something of equal value must be lost. This is Equivalent Exchange. Welcome to Equivalent Exchange, a podcast about Full Metal Alchemist by Hiromu Arakawa. I'm Kayla. I'm Ellen. And I'm Kazum. Yay. Today we're discussing chapters 105 and 106. Yay. All right. Yay. That deserved more of a yay than Cosm. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, I was, I was like, oh, I should have waited to save my yay for the, <laughs> the chapter. <laughs> After I said it, I was just really excited. <laughs> I had some tea and a little huffed up on caffeine, you know. You know how the, the white tea gets to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give me the good stuff. Yeah, the white tea. I was also distracted <laughs> because Cosm is clicking around with his mouse. I can hear him. Oh. That's right. I hear you. Like, quit playing whatever magic in the background. Definitely thought you were going to say quit playing games with my heart. That's yes. <laughs> yeah, quit playing magic in the background and buying Yu-Gi-Oh cards or whatever. Oh, oh the two things <laughs> I was doing just now. My goodness. <laughs> stop telling us about your personal life. Then we'll stop judging you during the middle of our podcast. <laughs> Anybody have any good banter this time other than making fun of Cosm? Did you know that the state flower? Of... <laughs> we just spent like 20 minutes talking about all the state flowers. If Ellen doesn't edit any of that into the podcast. I'll leave all of it in. I'll leave everything yeah. in. The first 20 minutes, everyone will be like, what is this? What am I listening to? I did recount the harrowing tale of how I almost killed my African violet. That's like in the middle of blooming right now. And I was really upset, but it seems to be fine. A lot of twists and turns in that tale. <laughs> The twist and turn was I fucked up once and then I fucked up again and then I fixed it. So. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so no good banter? All right. <laughs> well, in that case, <laughs> we could start. All right. We're going to do our recap summary and then discuss. And we are getting so close to the end here, guys. Yeah. yeah next time is the last full time. Mm -hmm. Then the finale. And then who knows? Well, our finale. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Next time's the next time's the series finale, and then next mm -hmm. next time is our finale. I was like, "What does he mean?" Of course, it's our finale. This is our podcast. <laughs> Someone else's finale. Well, I don't know. You said the way you, it made it sound like next time was this. The, I don't know. I, I, I knew what you were talking about after Kayla said it, but I just. <laughs> but then we'll do something else. We'll be around. Don't mm -hmm. worry. Yeah, it'll be a good time. In the we'll future, be around to banter about flowers and shit probably in, the, shit. in our next project i imagine we'll have to banter even more so stay tuned for that mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, shall we then yeah let's do it mm -hmm. <laughs> chapter 105 begins with a short flashback to baby ed now researching alchemy they read a passage about how the combination of the sun symbolizing a man and the moon symbolizing a woman results in the creation of a hermaphrodite which symbolizes a perfect being they wonder what a perfect being would be and Ed decides that it must be something even greater than just becoming immortal, like becoming God. Back in the present, Father, now in his perfect form, sits down on his throne while everyone looks at him in shock and horror. May, wincing from her injuries, says in disbelief, You turn the people of Amestris into philosopher's stones, and you're using them to keep God imprisoned inside you? Izumi asks how many lives that is, and Roy says that the population of Amestris is about 50 million. Good work, my human sacrifices, Father says. You fulfilled your purpose. There is no more cause for you to use alchemy. No more portals for you to open. 
Hohenheim steps forward and urgently tells everyone to get behind him, and Izumi hurries to help Roy as father taps his finger against the arm of his throne. A strange energy pulses out, and when Ed tries to transmute a moment later, he finds that the power has been locked down again. Father lifts his hand and creates a crackling ball of energy in his palm. Farewell, my human sacrifices, he says, and a massive amount of power surges down from the sky right at our group. It shatters all the way through the ground above, catching the attention of those few others within the circle higher up. But it's not the end just yet, as Hohenheim has thrown up his hand to create a protective barrier around the group. All of you, do not leave my side, he shouts. Father, unimpressed, just increases the surge of energy. Hohenheim winces and lifts his other hand against the force of the blow. His fingers begin to turn black as the power burns through them, and he grits his teeth and asks the souls within him to lend him their power. Hmm, you're doing surprisingly well considering that you only have half a million souls inside you, but it's only a matter of time, Father says. He sends an attack toward Hohenheim's feet, noting that he's too busy blocking the assault from above to do anything else. Ed tries again to transmute, of course to no effect, and it seems like there's nothing to be done. But then May manages to throw out her knives, using her alkahestry to form a protective circle around them to hold back the attack. I'll defend us from the ground attacks, she declares. Monitoring the pulse of the earth is my specialty. The more energy that flows through the ground, the more power I have at my disposal. Father frowns, and while the attacks from above and below continue, he opens his hand to form something new, saying, I didn't really want to destroy this place, but I suppose I can recreate it later. Hohenheim's eyes widen with shock as he realizes what Father's incredible new power is allowing him to create. A sun. Nuclear fusion. Father prepares to use that immense energy to destroy everyone. But some sensation courses suddenly through him, a low and rhythmic sound, and his eyes widen in surprised confusion. So you finally hear it, Hohenheim says. The sound of millions of beating hearts. The souls of this country's citizens are still connected to their bodies by a string which is also known as the spirit. Like an infant who is tied to his mother through the umbilical cord, they haven't quite let go. In other words, they haven't completely become yours yet. Father glares at him. What did you do, Hohenheim? It's the work of many long years and countless calculations. In preparation for this day, I deposited the philosopher's stones within me throughout the country. No, not stones. They are my comrades. We see a memory of when Hohenheim dug his hands into his own chest to release the stone energy, then hear a series of determined declarations from the souls themselves. The time has come. The dwarf in the flask has gone too far. We don't have our bodies anymore, but it's not too late for the Amestrians. Yes, let's help their souls return to their bodies. The circle will only last a moment. Don't blow it. We'll tear the souls of those Amestrians out of its body. Father, not hearing any of this, scoffs. So you sewed a few philosopher's stones into the ground, and that's supposed to help you how? What are you expecting to happen? In order to transmute, there must be a circle to join them, otherwise the power won't activate. Oh, I have a circle, all right, Hohenheim says. One that will activate on its own when the time comes. One that will fall from the heavens. One that's extremely large and powerful. He manages a grin through the effort of continuing to hold back Father's attack, as overhead, the shadow of the eclipse passes across the country to fall right across Hohenheim's soul-based circle. Energy sparks as the transmutation begins, and Father screams in outrage. You dare interfere with my plans, Hohenheim? That's exactly what I came here to do, homunculus, Hohenheim shouts back. By the time you acquired your so-called god, our counterattack had already begun. That counterattack comes slamming into Father from above, and as he struggles against it, Hohenheim continues. The soul is innately and intimately connected to the physical body. Removing that soul by force and placing it elsewhere requires a considerable amount of energy. But to do the opposite is easy. It's simply a matter of freeing the soul. If the original body still exists in a healthy state, the soul will be drawn to it on its own, just like a magnet. The soul's father took suddenly rush from his body and surge up into the sky in a whirling mass, then dart back down, seeking out their bodies. Silence reigns for a moment longer across the country. 
Then a baby begins to cry, and all the citizens of Amestris begin to stir, coughing and panting as they push themselves back to their feet. In Resinbul, Winry, Panaco, and the guards from Briggs all check in with each other, wondering what exactly just happened. It was like being in the middle of a swirling mass of pain, Winry says. Back underground, Father rise with the effort of trying to keep God contained without all the power of those freed souls. Hohenheim taunts him over it, and Father reluctantly gives in for the moment and ends his attack. Hohenheim and May both slump down in exhaustion from holding it back for so long, and Ed and Al hurry to check on them. Hohenheim winces as his burnt hands begin to heal, but he continues to taunt Father, who grows angrier as he struggles. I still have many more resources left at my disposal. I just need to create more Philosopher's Stones. There are so many human souls on this planet. Though still struggling to contain the power, he uses it to create a tornado and then another pulse of energy to attack the group. Hohenheim throws his hands up in front of himself to hold it back again, but the force of it pushes him back, and May urgently warns that it's getting close to breaking her defensive circle. Hohenheim grits his teeth, frantically thinking that he can't hold it back. But then Ed and Al jump up to help brace him from behind. Hang in there, Dad, Al says, while Ed shouts, Come on, you bastard, don't give up now! He looks back at his sons in surprise, then grins as he refocuses his efforts. I was always a blockhead of a father, but now you boys make me want to show off a bit. Everyone keeps struggling as hard as they can, and Ed desperately calls out, How much longer, Scar? Scar, meanwhile, is still locked in battle with Bradley, now with the powers of both deconstruction and reconstruction at his disposal. Ishvalan, Bradley growls. I thought alchemy and the creation of material things is blasphemous in the eyes of Ishvala, the creator of all things. Have you forsaken your god? Scar doesn't respond, and Bradley keeps pushing as the fight continues. Is that the extent of your devotion? No. You, who knew the depths of despair during the Civil War, must have known deep in your heart that God doesn't exist in this world. With this proclamation, the peak of the eclipse ends, and the sun shining out from behind the moon's shadow once more temporarily blinds Bradley and his special eyes. <laughs> I had to make that joke one more time. Oh yeah, this is the last chance you have. <laughs> Scar takes advantage of this and lunges forward, his destruction alchemy tearing through Bradley's arms. But Bradley, being fucking Bradley, doesn't let this literal disarming stop him from fighting. As he catches his dropped sword in his teeth and slashes it through Scar's side, even as the blade cuts into his own mouth as well. Literally the first time I read that, I was like, fucking Bradley, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know, right? His arms are getting blown off, but he's still stabbing with his mouth. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, he has nothing left to lose at this point, though, so. Yeah. yeah. And with this, both men fall to the floor. Scar, with some effort, manages to push himself up onto hands and knees, but Bradley lies still on his back, staring up into the sky. He laughs weakly and says, I've never believed in divine destiny or God, but I guess this means that the heavens are not on my side. Nearby, a figure steps out of the shadows, and Bradley turns his head to watch them approach. Hmm, it seems the heavens sent me an angel. Lonfawn stops near Bradley and removes her mask, revealing her furious and grief-stricken face. You're here to avenge your grandfather, Bradley says. Fair enough. Lumphon asks if he has any last words, and with no hesitation, he firmly declares, None. Lumphon frowns at him. What a pitiful existence you've led till the very end. Didn't you have any loved ones, friends, allies, your wife? This last one gets some reaction from Bradley, who quietly repeats, My wife. And you have no last words for her? Lumphon presses. The sorrow she'd feel if she found out you're a homunculus. Stop throwing around words like love and sorrow, you self-righteous girl, Bradley interrupts. You know nothing. She's the woman I chose. We didn't need such meaningless words to understand each other. Such is the way between a king and his companion. As the last of Bradley's life force strains away, he gives another quiet laugh. You wasted so much time on your foolish questions that you missed your opportunity for vengeance, he tells Lanfon, before casting his eyes back to the sky. 
although my life had all been planned out for me ahead of time. Thanks to you humans, at least the end was, more or less, a good life. A life worth living. And with Scar and Lanfon bearing witness, Fuhrer King Bradley finally breathes his last. Both are silent for a moment. Then Lanfon realizes she can still sense life from Bradley, and takes the vial of red liquid from his pocket. It's a philosopher's stone, Scar explains, which startles Lanfon. He starts to further explain how the doctor had it before Bradley got it in the final battle, but he's cut short by a harsh, wet coughing fit, spurting blood from his mouth. Lanfon asks if he's okay, but Scar just asks if she can do him a favor. Will you help me get over there? he asks, pointing to the circle beneath the pipes where the doctor once stood. That seems to be the center of this entire area. She helps him over to the bloodstained circle, and Scar settles in front of it and looks down at his hands. Brother, he thinks. In truth, the feelings of hatred within me have not subsided. Yet it is that hated enemy, the Amestrians, that I now fight to save. Brother, you used to speak about a positive flow and a negative flow. But I, who have those two contradictions within me, in what direction will I drift? He places his hands down on the circle and activates his transmutation. The energy shoots out into the city and beyond, racing towards the sheets so carefully placed by the groups of Ishvalans we saw earlier. Each one bears a version of the reversal transmutation circle contained within Scar's brother's notes, and they connect in that same pattern all across the mistress. Down in the lair, Father, Hohenheim, and May can all sense something happening, and Hohenheim turns and shouts, Here it comes! Ed and Al immediately put their hands together to transmute, and it works. Spikes shoot from the ground towards Father's throne, making him divert some attention to repel the attack and making Pride scurry to duck out of the way. The brothers don't let up, firing off attack after attack. When the dust settles, Father is unharmed, but everything around him has been destroyed. In your face, you cocky freak. Your precious throne is in pieces now, Ed snarls in triumph. Up until now, you've been calling the shots. Not anymore. You and that damn truth are going to eat my fist. And that's the end of chapter 105. Ooh. <laughs> they did the thing. It's like they drew the circle. <laughs> they did. <laughs> Chapter 106 picks up back with Scar and Lanfon after the reversal transmutation circle has done its job. Looks like Maish fallen kin were able to place the transmutation seals in time, Scar says. Lanfon wonders if this is alkahestry, and Scar gives a small, satisfied smile. It is the culmination of my brother's research. Apparently, the standard equation behind this country's alchemy was brought here by someone approximately 350 years ago. The source of this alchemy's power stems from the movement of the planet's crust. Using this equation, alchemists brought prosperity to the nation at virtually no cost. Even my older brother began to study alchemy for the good of our people. It was during this time that he crossed paths with Eastern merchants who told him about the existence of another form of alchemy, the purification arts. But for some reason, within Amestris, there was practically no literature or information pertaining to this other way. That surprises Lanfon. None? In this country of alchemy? That's right. It was as if someone had intentionally excluded all information regarding alkahestry. Undeterred, my brother had traveling merchants import texts for him from the east. The more my brother learned, the more he began to have doubts about this country's alchemy, which claimed to draw its power from the energy of the planet's crust. Using his own blood to sketch out a diagram, because he's hardcore like that, mm -hmm. Scar continues. Between the energy of the planet's crust and the alchemist, there was another layer. He began to think that perhaps a different source was involved. This reminds Lanfon of something. That uneasiness I felt when I first entered this country. It felt as though there were people crawling around underground. Exactly. The one who brought the secret of Amestrian alchemy is the same one who placed that source beneath the nation's soil. And that source is the Philosopher's Stone. A glimpse of Father hooked into the pipes and wires running underground as he used to be fills in the rest of that picture. 
and we transition back to the lair, where Ed and Al continue their attack, and Father notes with annoyed confusion that his alchemy barrier isn't working. As the fight goes on, Scar continues his explanation. My brother became more and more immersed in his research. His doubts regarding the cause of the Ishvalan campaign led him to discover a plan to build a massive national transmutation circle of blood in Amestris. As the extermination campaign turned genocidal, my brother realized that it was futile to try and stop the circle from being built. So he must have thought, if that's the case, why not use the National Transmutation Circle for our own purpose? By using the Amestrian Transmutation Circle as its base, superscribing the lines with Alkahestry and neutralizing the Philosopher's Stone, a brand new Transmutation Circle could be created that would allow the unlimited use of the planet's tectonic energy. In order to obstruct the schemes of those who created the Transmutation Circle of Blood in this country, my older brother entrusted us with this plan. Down below, Ed is amazed at the sudden change in his alchemy's power. I barely transmuted and look at all this. Despite this, Father is still able to repel all these attacks seemingly without effort, and Ed, frustrated, notes that it doesn't seem to be making any difference. I don't care what it looks like, just keep banging away at him, Hohenheim insists. Right now, it's all he can do to contain the so-called god within his body. He's like a balloon that's about to pop. If we keep carving away at the powers of his stones, eventually his body will reach its limit. Ed asks if he can possibly be more specific than eventually, but Hohenheim just tells him to keep up the attacks and leave the defense to him. So they keep fighting. Izumi breaks a pillar to send it crashing down on top of Father, but he just cracks it in half as it comes down, along with all the large chains and gears and levers hanging overhead. This causes some mechanism to activate, and the boiling vat of liquid that killed the first Greed begins to emerge from the floor. Sure brings back memories, Greed says with a fierce grin, before swinging a metal beam at Father to try and knock him into the boiling drink instead. Father of course deflects this attack, but Ed has another idea, and he shouts for Greed to move out of the way, before using his alchemy to just tip the whole vat over, sending a wave of hot liquid rushing across the floor. Father sends this attack back as well, but Hohenheim defends against it, and Father is beginning to show signs of strain. With a deep scowl, he looks up, and then uses the liquid as a platform to elevate himself through the hole in the ceiling to reach the surface. Up above, Riza and the Chimeras are listening to the sounds of the battle below, wondering what's going on down there, when another group approaches them from behind. They train guns on them and order them not to move. But it's Olivier's group, and Alex and Riza quickly recognize each other. Alex starts forward, but then the rushing image of Father surging up to the surface catches everyone's attention. Father reaches ground level and stands before a group of alarmed Briggs soldiers. And down below, Hohenheim shouts a warning that he's gone to acquire more Philosopher's Stones. He quickly uses alchemy to create a platform to pursue him, and then Greedling immediately follows by climbing up the dangling chains and parkouring up the walls. <laughs> Izumi says they should go after him as well, and while Al goes over to May's side, Izumi approaches Roy and says they need to get him to safety too. It's the country's greatest crisis and I'm useless, Roy grits out in frustration, but Izumi smiles gently and tries to reassure him. They prepare to head up, but it turns out Ed is tangled up, literally, with pride again, fending off his shadows. Al and Izumi call out to him in concern, but Ed shouts back, Go on ahead, I still got some unfinished business with this guy. Al hesitates, but Izumi tells him they have to hurry and stop father. You better not lose, Ed, she orders, and Ed replies, yes, ma'am. With Izumi helping Roy and Al helping May, the four of them rocket up to the surface on stone platforms after Father and the others. But they stop as they reach the lower level the other group is on, for some eager reunions to occur. Izumi and Sig passionately embrace, and then Izumi asks him to look after the colonel while they continue to fight. Alex asks what happened to him, and Roy explains about his eyesight being taken, much to Reese's alarm. Izumi and Al continue toward the surface in pursuit of Father, and while Olivia and the Briggs troops wonder if they should follow, Roy asks Risa how her wounds are. She starts to protest that he should be worrying about himself, but he interrupts, Lieutenant, can you still fight? She looks surprised, then firmly says, Yes, sir. A little bit later, Greed, complaining about how much quicker the alchemist method of climbing multiple stories is, makes it to the level where Lonfon and Scar are. He spots Bradley's body and steps toward it. Wrath, so he's dead? 
he asks. He takes in the Fuhrer's serene, smiling face and frowns. He looks so damn smug. Makes me sick. Down below, Pride is spitting his disgust over Greed's complete betrayal and siding fully with the humans. You've abandoned your honor as a homunculus. How pathetic. Ed, still grappling with Pride's shadows, asks why they're so loyal to someone like Father. Pride slams him to the ground in irritation. What a foolish question. Of course I'm going to obey my own father. He gave me life. Ed gives a derisive laugh. You're the foolish one. You've completely stopped thinking for yourself. Compared to you, greed is much more evolved. Pride slams him into a pillar for that insult, but Ed doesn't let up. I just don't get it. I don't understand why you're still listening to him. You've taken quite a beating carrying out his orders, but he hasn't even given you a glance. What is your point? Pride finally snaps. He stops trying to cover the shattered gap on his face, and glaring shadows leak out of the hole in an angry mass. Don't try to judge us homunculi by your weak human standards. He suddenly plunges one of his sharp shadows into a bleeding cut on Ed's face, and the veins bulge out darkly as the shadows push further in. This is an all-or-nothing gamble, Pride says. My body is on its last legs after what I went through to open Mustang's portal. It's time to leave this vessel that Father gave me and find a new one. You, Edward Elric. You, our blood relation who, like our father, was also born from Hohenheim. Because you are so close to us genetically, there's a high probability that you can become my replacement vessel. Give me your vessel. Give me your body. Ed screams in pain as Pride starts to take him over, seeming unable to do anything to stop the possession. But suddenly Pride flinches, finding himself struggling to move. From within, a familiar voice calls out, Unacceptable. This is truly unacceptable, Pride the homunculus. And fucking Kimbley reforms himself among all the souls within Pride. It's fucking Kimberly. <laughs> He's <Yeah>. back. <laughs> I was so surprised. I wasn't expecting. I've never been so happy to see him. I know. I don't wasn't expecting to see him again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no. I was always happy to see him. I mean, not for like the That's other true. characters. I was just happy personally. Yeah. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's fucking Kimberly again. That's how I felt every time I saw him. Mm-hmm. Oh, Kimberly, you fucking weirdo. <laughs> You lovable, strange, strange man. <laughs> you, you lovable serial killer. <laughs> it's the, anyway. the second lovable serial killer of the series. <laughs> yeah. Who's the first? Scar? Bear, uh, I guess Scar is somewhat oh, Barry lovable. Oh, Barry the Chopper. Uh, Barry the Chopper. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's lovable. <laughs> he's basically a weird goof at the end. Was, yeah. He was kind of tragically mm-hmm. taken from his own... But so he was taken by his own body at the end. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Kimberly's just here being like, yo, I'm a soul here in the soul void. Yeah. <laughs> just having a great time. <laughs> Still wearing his suit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fucking Kimberly. That's how I feel mm-hmm. about the situation. <laughs> Pride, of course, is shocked by this. It can't be. There's no way that you can retain your individual identity within this storm of souls. Storm? Don't make me laugh, Kimberly says, grinning his classic mad grin. Those cries of agony are like lullabies to my ears. Fucking Kimberly. Fucking Kimberly, man. <laughs> <laughs> on the outside, Pride is struggling to maintain control and keep up his attack on Ed. Why are you getting in my way, Kimberly? he demands. Yes, well, if you had continued fighting, I wouldn't have done anything. You spoke of the honor of the homunculi, yet when danger threatened your own existence, you tried to escape into a human vessel, one that you previously looked down upon. You are nothing to be proud of. With Pride weakened and distracted like this, Ed manages to put his hands together, then grab the top of Pride's head. He's going to kill me, Pride thinks in a panic, but Kimberly scoffs at that. 
kill you. You don't understand Edward Elric at all. And Kindley's right, because Ed instead uses that old treat-yourself-as-a-philosopher's-stone-of-one-soul-desperation technique to reverse Pride's possession attempt and invade him instead. He pushes through the mass of screaming souls to find Pride's core and grab him. Pride has a flash of memory of his mother, Mrs. Bradley, standing beside Wrath, then screams in a panic for Ed to get out. Kimberly tips his hat and fades back into the soul void, and on the outside, Ed closes his fist, and Pride's body shatters and begins to fade away. Ed, panting from the effort of the fight, slowly relaxes and looks down. He opens his hand, revealing a tiny infant curled up on his palm. So this is your true form, he says. He pulls his discarded red coat out of the debris nearby and folds it up, then gently places the reduced pride onto it. He mumbles that he'll have to apologize to Mrs. Bradley later as he stands to leave. Wait there, Salem, you little dummy, he says, as the infant pride weakly cries for its mama. Back up at ground level, Father has begun attempting to harvest more Philosopher's Stone energy for himself, and the Briggs soldiers fall to their knees, clutching at their throats as their souls are pulled from them. Fortunately, Hohenheim arrives soon after and launches an attack to interrupt. Sorry to bother you during your meal, he snarks, but I won't let you take another life. Izumi, Al, and May arrive soon after and jump down to back up Hohenheim, who says that he just stopped Father from creating more Philosopher's Stones. I would have made them into something better than mere humans, Father insists and Hohenheim asks why he looks down on them so much. Philosopher's stones are made from humans, and homunculi are born from the stones. But what can be made from homunculi? What do they give birth to? Can a being that can only destroy truly be called a god? You think you're the ultimate being, but you're actually just a dead end. Father considers this for a moment. Think so. Then allow me to give birth, he says. Gross. Then disgustingly Zeus's it up by expelling some warped, <laughs> dripping bodies directly from his abdomen. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't sleep with anybody though then it really would have been zeus yeah it's like first you gotta turn into a swan and yes. then <laughs> zeus is like let me tell you how to be a god yeah <laughs> got some advice for you and father's just like ew <laughs> these bodies fall to the ground gurgling and moaning as they form themselves into something more human before standing up and staggering forward one approaches Hohenheim, and he realizes with horror that he's looking at the dead king of Xerxes. The figures all continue to lurch around, crying out in twisted delight at having a body again after so long spent in agony. One infant form reaches out toward Izumi, who reels back in shock and horror, throwing a hand over her mouth. Other familiar figures crowd around Hohenheim, his fellow slaves and old master, and he is frozen to the spot until the bodies begin to crumple and fall apart, back to their dripping state. Dwarf in the flask, you bastard! Hohenheim shouts. Behind him, Ed arrives on the scene, and then Father smirks and fires off another blast of energy at his distracted and shaken opponents. It tears through the bodies he just gave birth to, then hits our heroes and tears through the grounds of Central HQ behind them. And that's the end of Chapter 106. Oh no! <laughs> I was good, and I didn't read the next two chapters. Just so I'm proud of you, so I don't know what happens. Huh? You're proud of me? <laughs> so here's what you do. You don't even read. You wait and you just you read for the first time here with us. Let me just scream into the recording. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm mean, like calmly summarizing and you're just constantly screaming in the background. What? What? Oh, here's the sound of like footsteps around the room while I'm like yeah. running around. <laughs> and then just like, no, in the background of the room. <laughs> I mean, I'll do it, but except I won't because I really want to see what happens. I like to mm -hmm. I like to ponder. Also, like I can't imagine if I had like live read the last four chapters, it would have been like, "What the fuck is happening?" <laughs> like, yeah, 
especially the not these two but the last two from last episode mm-hmm. i was definitely those like, are some wild what? ones what? <laughs> what while i was reading it shake your fist at the sky like esoteric bullshit <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh my god he like opened the earth's portal i get it remember <laughs> i've i have the light of the creator i don't i don't think you understand i understand kabbalah now <laughs> You definitely read more about the Kabbalah than either of us, so (laughs) (laughs) I think that makes you the expert. (laughs) I'm certainly the expert in this group. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, let's talk about today's esoteric bullshit topics of the day, I guess. Yeah. They, um, the Ishvalans from last time, they were setting all, doing all the setup so that Scar could activate the anti-national transmutation circle. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That gave the powers of transmutation back to the people using the dragon's pulse or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yep. Using the actual tectonic energy, not just the philosopher's stone goo. Yeah. That was powering all of Amestris before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love Scar's character arc. So good. Mm-hmm. I really like how at the yeah. end it's not even really resolved, too. He said some really interesting things in his dialogue, like where he was... <laughs> um, when he's activating the transition circle, he I think it's his thoughts, but he's like, in truth, the feelings of hatred within me haven't subsided. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. the hated enemy, the Amestrian said, and I'll fight to say, brother, you used to speak about a positive flow, negative flow, but I, who have these two contradictions within me, in what direction will I drift? Mm-hmm. I was like, ooh, so deep. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I liked that a deep lot. shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed that. So yeah, I feel mm-hmm. like it's it's not 100% resolved, but yet he did, he did the thing, right? He yeah. saved everybody. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's like, that he's gone from like using destructive alchemy, which he justified to himself as like a way to get vengeance, like blind vengeance, to going from like kind of embracing the like other half of alchemy that his brother was researching and mm-hmm. using it to like protect the country. Mm-hmm. 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 He's accepted the creator's light and he can yes. it himself. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I like that. I like his character arc a lot. He's still the same person and he still has the same struggles. Like some Mm -hmm. things about him haven't Mm -hmm. changed, but his behavior and his kind of like attitude has changed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Throughout the story, which is great. Mm -hmm. You know who else had a great character arc? Hohenheim. Mm -hmm. I just want to throw that out there. (laughs) All his Mm -hmm. weirdness. Yeah. It turned out that he also, um, when he, I I was joking about him calling all his familiars or whatever that one time (laughs) in the woods where he was like, oh, I need you all to help me with this thing. Um, it turned out that he was like he had been pre-planning this for a significant period of time and he Mm -hmm. was out there sowing the seeds of destruction for the homunculus and he like calculated Mm -hmm. out this plan where he'd be able to use the umbra from the um, from the eclipse Eclipse. yeah that's the word Mm -hmm. (laughs) I remembered umbra but I didn't remember eclipse yeah (laughs) (laughs) the umbra from the eclipse is like a circle so he like pre-planned it because he knew the homunculus would do the thing and then he mm-hmm. calculated out so that it would be in this position. So all he had to do was like hold out for a certain period of time mm-hmm. and then be mm-hmm. able to activate his his stuff too. So that was pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. I love that we have like three nationwide transmutation circles getting activated <laughs> in like the last couple mm-hmm. chapters. <laughs> so much esoteric yeah. bullshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we got, yeah, we got the original one and then everybody's plans, everybody's yeah. plans mm-hmm. to stop it. Yeah. Which is great. So it's the original one. Then Hohenheim's to reverse the soul taking part and then uh-huh. uh, scar's brothers that scar and the Ishvalans put together to yeah uh like remove the uh philosopher stone barrier yeah mm-hmm. to democratize mm-hmm. alchemy yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
to give power yeah. back to the people. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing you have to lose is your chains. Wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying that there's <laughs> communist overtones. <laughs> But I was definitely thinking it really loudly when you were reading that part. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely took a screenshot of this thing where it says, like, oh, your alchemist brought prosperity to the nation at virtually no cost <laughs> in his dialogue. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but then they were, they were, uh, they became a slave to the power. Anyway, listen, <laughs> that is, uh, that's a whole other type of esoteric bullshit that I, I'm not qualified to talk about. <laughs> but. <laughs> But yeah, sorry, what were you going to say, Cosmoport started talking about communism? <laughs> I don't know, so the first time I watched it, I missed the fact that there was, it was three different circles. Because, mm. like, I always thought that, essentially, Hohenheim and uh, Scar's brother's circle was the same, and that, like, yeah, I don't know. It it, it didn't occur to me that that, that it was a, a another transmutation circle mm. using the base as a base. The, the original is a base. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You see the base is um, a base, yes. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was interesting and cool. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, uh, things that we've been set up for for mm -hmm. how many chapters now? So long. Long time. Yeah. When did Hohenheim do the thing? He did the thing so long ago where he... It's a while ago. I think it was before we the saw, the, uh, saw the reverse before transmutation circle, so... Yeah, that yeah. was... That was right so after Briggs, the gate when they left. Um, it was wasn't it before the Ishval flashbacks too? Mm, no. Uh, yes, it yeah, was. I think so. It was. It was after they got out of Gluttony's stomach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was after he got shot up on that... the on the stagecoach on the yeah. train on the. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because he's going up into the mountains <laughs> to do his <laughs> to do his esoteric <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> Wagging, uh, like a horse and buggy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was on a horse-drawn carriage of sorts, mm -hmm. a public mm -hmm. public transportation of sorts. Yeah. It was, it was kind of a stagecoach. <laughs> I guess. Is this what is a stagecoach? <laughs> Let's Google it. I don't know anything about the West either. Yeah. I'm not sure if the animal that draws it is important to the definition, but <laughs> it's a four-wheeled public transport coach used to mm -hmm. carry passengers drawn by four horses. Well, it was drawn yeah. by a horse, so yeah, I was mm -hmm. right. Go me. Mm -hmm. I was right about communism and I was right about the stage. <laughs> <laughs> the two most important things to be right about. <laughs> it's Virgo season. It's important for me to be right about everything. <laughs> Speaking of esoteric mm -hmm. bullshit. One thing that I thought was interesting that I didn't definitely didn't think about until just now while you we were reading is that so there are four main characters that basically don't have names, didn't have names, and were given mm -hmm. names or whatever. There's Scar, obviously. Uh-huh. There's like Wrath, he says that he doesn't have a name, like Bradley mm -hmm. was given to him. Yeah. Hohenheim, because the homunculus gave him his name. Mm -hmm. right, and the homunculus that. himself adopted the name father. So yeah. it's kind of interesting that all these sort of like nameless, essentially nameless characters are like the ones at the core of this part of the story. I don't really know what that means because mm -hmm. I just thought of it just now and I haven't really thought mm -hmm. about it. But I thought that was kind of cool. We talked last time about how Bradley and Scar is a good fight, but Hohenheim and the homunculus is also a good fight. Uh, yeah. for their obvi yeah. obvious ties but i think even on top of that it's they all of these like hohenheim has a role in creating the homunculus and the homunculus has a role in creating hohenheim and mm -hmm. scar and bradley mm -hmm. have a similar relationship right like if bradley hadn't or you know bradley as is in like the army or whatever hadn't ordered mm -hmm. um or not being part of the 
the homunculus group hadn't if there wasn't the the genocide then yeah. mm-hmm. there wouldn't be scar right so mm-hmm. yep i mean bradley wasn't necessarily personally directly involved but like he's all part of the whole scheme right so he's yeah. the, kind of the face of that in that fight it's very intriguing yeah we talked a little bit about how like envy kind of created the person who would like nearly kill him uh through like these his, uh, their participation in these fallen war and which created roy mm-hmm. as the flame alchemist mm-hmm. but um yeah scar also or um bradley also created the person who would kill him through the ishvalan war by creating scar mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and like uh, you have scar and hohenheimer the ones who create these like circles to take back the power so you also have these like nameless people the ones taking things mm-hmm. back so it's very intriguing too mm-hmm. communism I mean, what? <laughs> <laughs> is it communism or Marxism? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, I have a lot of, like, not really coherent ones that I can, like, put voice to, but I have a lot of feelings about the fact that Hohenheim started as a nameless slave. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's become this, like, incredibly powerful and person who was, like, using all that power to just protect people. And... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of the characters are like that. Like, Garth's like that, too. He was just, like, a dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and yeah, mm-hmm. on, on the opposite side of things, trying to directly cause harm to a bunch of individuals, and now he's trying to save the people that he essentially was fighting against. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of related to the whole, like, like Hohenheim and Homunculus sort of, like, creating each other. I really thought the um, the dialogue of pride toward Ed about them, like, being, mm-hmm. like, like, of the same blood and everything was interesting. Mm-hmm. 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 It's like he said, like our blood relation was also born from Hohenheim, like homunculus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, true, true. That scene was very interesting. There's a gag comic that Harkar drew about um, the homunculi trying to like beg money off Ed and Al because they're their uncles. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked. First of all, I really liked the imagery of Pride trying to get into Ed's face. That was pretty great and horrifying. Mm-hmm. Some good body horror. Yeah. Love it. I also enjoyed Ed sassing him and being yeah. like, like, yeah, like, you know, greed's so much more evolved than you because he's going against your plan. You're just doing what you're told, whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in a way, it's similar to, to what Hohenheim said to father, like, you're a dead end. You know, mm-hmm. humans can create more life and we can create the Philosopher's Stone and you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, know. Ed got his knowing how to be annoying in just the right way skills from his father. <laughs> <laughs> True. Because <laughs> they're both picking at like exactly the right <laughs> the right insecurity in who they're talking to in those conversations. Yes. Mm-hmm. I also really enjoyed when Ed like punches the baby soul out of Bride, which is great too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kimmy's like, he's not going to kill you. And then he's like, Oh, he's, like, in his fucking soul void. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Pride's vulnerability is very interesting in that scene, too. Yeah, he really becomes, like, like an actual child in that scene. Mm-hmm. Like, like, his, like, panic and, like, like one of his last, like, panic memories is of his mother. And... Mm-hmm. As foreshadowed by him mm-hmm. being like, yeah, my mother once saved me from, like, a car or whatever. Mm-hmm. She's still a lowly human, but, you know. I respect her, and now it's like yeah. that's what you think of when you think you're about to die. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now his true form is just a little tiny curled up infant, tiny, tiny <laughs> baby, teeny tiny baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I like that Ed kind of like lays him down on the coat too mm-hmm. gently. Ed for all his like <laughs> love of fighting and short temper is a very uh, compassionate uh, protagonist. It's true. Yeah. We saw that before with Winry a mm-hmm. lot, but this in particular yeah. was good. Uh, I really appreciated that Kimberly was there, and I, I totally mm-hmm. wasn't expecting that at all. It's such a good, I think it's such a good, good thing for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like he doesn't really do well. All he does is also join in the sassing, which was good, uh, basically. Mm-hmm. And was yeah. like, "What are you doing? You're trying to take over a human. You said he was low, lowly, and a bug or whatever, mm-hmm. and now you're trying to take him over. So lame." Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, he just fades like... back into the soul void. Yeah. <laughs> With the tip of his hat. Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know about Kimberly, even as a disembodied soul in a swirling mass of souls, still sticking to his weird principles. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just thinking that, like, it kind of fits because, you know, he was always like, stand back, watch watch the chaos unfold, see who comes out mm-hmm. on top. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's what he's doing with these souls. It's just like, fuck are these souls doing let me find out let me see where soul is yeah. you know true yeah well he spent all the time being like ah oh, the screams of agony on the battlefield they're like a symphony of music and stuff and now he's just like yeah this is great <laughs> i love the soul void <laughs> this is also after the scene where all the people in a mistress woke up and winry was like felt like i was in a swirling vortex of pain <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> kimberly's like ah oh, perfect this is exactly <laughs> what I wanted. <laughs> but yeah, he was just content to watch the battle play out until Pride turned out to be a hypocrite and he can't abide the hypocrites. <laughs> nope. It's just so fitting for him. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm still like, it's such a great twist and it's so in character. <laughs> it might be one of my favorites. Just that. It's a good Kimberly scene. There. I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it, like, he gets like a really, like, viscerally satisfying death which is like very mm-hmm. comeuppancy for him but at the same time he still gets the last word <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's true he did have to have the last word in the end mm-hmm. speaking of smug people i really liked that greed was like greedling was like oh i hate that smug look on rath's face or whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> when he sees mm-hmm. him mm-hmm. dead mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's also a great death it's bradley's uh, i did like that lanfan was there too Mm-hmm. To be like, you really have nothing else to say, really? And then he's like, well, you wasted mm-hmm. your time. Now I'm dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get another, just like how Pride's like sort of death gives another like glimpse of that interesting relationship with Mrs. Bradley. So does uh, mm-hmm. Rats. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it seemed to affect Longfawn too. Like the specific mm-hmm. thing that he said, which was like, yeah, we don't need meaningless words to understand each other, such as the way between a king and his companion. Mm-hmm. That relationship doesn't sound familiar at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lanfan, you can see her face in the, the side of her face in that one panel. I feel like she looks a little bit taken aback, like a little bit mm-hmm. different than the others, but. Yeah. You know, close to the vest, per usual. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny how Bradley has been so. His, like, role in the story has been so intertwined with Ling and Lanfan. Mm-hmm. Like multiple mm-hmm. times they fought and confronted each other. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, well, since Ling's uh, like introduction, they've always been kind of foils to each other in the idea of like a leader of a country and like what they should be and mm-hmm. like how they relate to mm-hmm. their people and their, everything. Mm-hmm. It's true. So this is something that I was going to bring up earlier, but you know, I just the the 
the characters all have such good counterparts to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, is that like really great storyboarding or just like good character development in general? Like I, what, what, what makes it? Mm. <laughs> Give me a second. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. So you have all these characters that have similarities between themselves um, and they're getting paired up throughout the last several chapters, right? As we talked about, like, Roy and Envy, and then there there was uh, Greed, Ling, and Wrath, and we have uh, Sloth and Olivier and everything. And just, do you think that that just can come so naturally when you have such good character developments that, like, oh, yeah, of course, every character has something because they're so well intertwined? Or do you think that that really do- took a lot of intentional plotting being like okay these i want these people to be with each other at this point because they have these things in common and it makes a very fitting clash i feel like it could come from either way depending on like how the person writes you could get there just by like creating your main characters and then like creating things that would be compelling for them to go up against which like often is like you know people who contrast with them in interesting ways Mm-hmm. But you could also be like, I want to explore, like, themes of, like, identity or what it means to be a leader and whatever, and then, like, create characters to explore those themes, so. I feel like it's probably a little bit of both, too. Like, I'm sure there's a certain amount of planning, but sometimes things change in the course of yeah. writing or whatever, especially when you write a series. I am, at least I would imagine, because I don't have mm-hmm. any personal experience, but, like, yeah, over years, I mean, this series ran for how long? Like, many, many years. Yeah, close to 10, something like that. Yeah. So over Mm -hmm. 10 years, you have a lot of time to think about what your character's doing, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm, That's true. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, like, this is obviously a really, like, well-plotted-out story. Like, we were talking just now about stuff that was hinted at, like, ages ago in the story. Yes. Um, But at the same time, I think, like, like, no matter how well-plotted you have something out, it's like things are always going to change as you're actually putting them on paper to some degree. Mm -hmm. So To add on that, I think... now that I've had more time to think about it, I think it is a bit of both. Because, like, if you didn't have such well-written characters, it would be very hard to have them interact with so many different characters in compelling ways. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I answered your question. question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when you have, like, a character that's well it's... thought out, then you also know how they're going to react to things or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know how you're talking about things, um, people calling out, like, Ed and Hohenheim, uh, being annoying in their fights. Mm-hmm. I feel like Bradley mm-hmm. also did the same thing to Scar, where he was like, you knew, you know, in the depths of despair of the Civil War, you must have known deep in your heart that God doesn't exist in this world or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an yeah, yeah. interesting sass. Because I don't yeah. think that Scar thinks that. Mm-hmm. I think it's telling mm-hmm. that Scar doesn't respond to him in any way when he mm-hmm. says that. Exactly. Like, I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it says more about Bradley's attitude than Scar's attitude. True. Like that combined with his like after he falls when he's saying like I never believed in like destiny or God, but I guess this means the heavens are not on my side or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know, I, I found something interesting, ironic maybe, about him looking up to the heavens and that being what finally like his fatal mistake. He looks up at the at the the sky as the sun starts shining again. Mm-hmm. And that distracts him long enough to 
lose his arms. Hmm. Yeah. It feels like Bradley's always had kind of a weirdly antagonistic relationship toward the idea of God, which, like, because mm-hmm. even back during the war when he was like, <laughs> like, yeah, um, like the way he like dismissed the um, that oh, like yeah, Ishval and like that. um. Like priest or Pri- priest or the high priest or whatever who oh yeah I wanted to like that. offer his life in exchange for the war ending <laughs> and stuff and that was so long ago mm-hmm. and being like well yeah, have your true. god strike me down like <laughs> it's like he hasn't maybe stopped he me knew... so far in this war and maybe because he knew about the plan like he's always kind of been mm-hmm. weirdly against the plan like he's always been conflicted about yeah. the homunculized plan mm-hmm. maybe yeah, I that's feel like he's been religion? like. Yeah, I feel like it's made him kind of, like, he's kind of, like, low-key bitter about, like, yeah. the circumstances of his life. Like, not mm-hmm. enough to, like, think there was any any point in, like, rebelling against it, but enough that he was just kind of like, kind of like, well, there's no God, fuck this. <laughs> I just have to I do, like, you, like, what I'm told, and... If we kind of, like, you know how he had all these, like, weird conversations, and I was like, I don't know what the point of this is, like, when, when he has a conversation with Risa about choosing his wife or whatever mm-hmm. and we're mm-hmm. like well it's an interesting conversation but i feel like if you add all of that together like the rejecting the offer from the high priest and like all the stuff he said then and his like whatever <laughs> low-key bitterness but also low-key like antagonism and like ambivalence about the outcome of the homunculized plan like in the conversation that he had with pride back in the day when we didn't know who pride was yeah um <laughs> And like this stuff, it all kind of fits. And then like the fact that the plan was for father to like take over God. Mm-hmm. That all kind of adds up to this yeah. opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's had this kind of like mix of like bitterness and resignation and kind of like nihilism. It's just sort of mm. like all kind of come together. And I feel like he's enjoyed the like last like couple years of his life because things have made things interesting and unpredictable because like mm-hmm. he even says like like as he's dying he's says. like like the end was like a life worth living like thanks to you humans yeah it makes sense it's i don't know if it's like one cohesive thought but it kind of makes sense mm-hmm. he's you know yeah yeah it's an interesting character of the homunculi the only two that are half human are wrath and greed right yeah they're the only two mm-hmm. like born from a mm-hmm. philosopher's stone like injected right into a human being oh yeah that's true ed was about to become one yeah. <laughs> but he, did, he didn't <laughs> <laughs> it was so great i i figured i mean obviously the series wasn't gonna end with um you know with like father just being like well i'm god now peace <laughs> but i was still really happy that hohenheim uh, was able to do the transmutation and remove all the souls and like um, mm-hmm. they were able to do Scar's brother's transmutation mm-hmm. uh, like the uh, the circle that was set up by or figured out by Scar's brother it's pretty cool mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. really happy about that yep <laughs> bird what are you doing bird tippy tapping I can't edit out all your noises when Kayla talks because <laughs> I can't do magic <laughs> yet <laughs> gotta study that Kabbalah a little longer a little bit harder yeah <laughs> Soon I'll be able to ascend to the plane, <laughs> higher planes. You know what we didn't talk about yet, which I find really interesting, is that Hohenheim's transmutation was sort of self-activating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and it uh, it really goes in the the you know one is all all is one sort of just like the entire universe is aligning to have this transmutation happen mm. you know the the moons and sun are aligning right and then the souls of the earth are there sort of acting as the the will of the something <laughs> <laughs> I think you need to ascend to a higher plane also. <laughs> I'm already there. That's why you can't understand oh, me. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. The will mm-hmm. of the people to grab the means of production. <laughs> it's like, I didn't want to say it, but I'm glad you said it. <laughs> I thought we were just talking about esoteric bullshit. Not... <laughs> I think because they're the souls of the people, they his Hohenheim's souls that he has inside him, they have a semi-consciousness. Like, they have a consciousness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he was probably like, okay, at this time, this is what's going to happen, and y'all are going to activate. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, like, something mm-hmm. about that to yeah. me feels like that's how he was able to do it. If it was yeah, just any other sense. thing. That's mm-hmm. the, the idea that I got, too, is that he sort of coached them through it, maybe when he was studying in there, uh, in his study that Ed always saw, he was talking to them, being like, this is what you gotta do. You gotta <laughs> He's whispering to himself awkwardly. When mm-hmm. you said coach them through it, I imagined like soccer or football stuff where there's like a whiteboard <laughs> and like X's and O's and lines and stuff. <laughs> but yeah, like when we see the, we get that one little glimpse of like the souls like talking amongst themselves and they talk about how like, like the circle only lasts a little longer. So like make sure mm-hmm. to do this, whatever. So they also encouraged yeah. him. They were like, you can do it. Don't give mm-hmm. up, which I thought was really cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. Oh, another one of my favorite like little moments is um, like Ed now helping to brace Owenheim mm-hmm. and him being like, "Oh, you boys make me want to show off." <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So cute. Yeah. Owenheim's such a dumb. Dad. Like, I was like, "You can do it, Dad," and Ed's like, "Don't give up, you bastard." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Classic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's Ed. Yeah, I read that. I was like, "Did Ed? Did Ed call him to?" Oh no, never mind. That's out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't that touching. <laughs> that's that's Ed's way of saying don't give up, Dad. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like, but he meant what he meant was I, I love, love you. you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just like Izumi being like, you better not lose when they leave. Mm-hmm. He's still fighting Bride. It's the same yeah. thing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, we still have Izumi. To... Yeah, yeah, looking after Roy. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> except for when she sees Sig and just like pushes <laughs> yeah. <out> away. <laughs> 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 it's like funny. Mm-hmm. Seems like uh, Reese is gonna be in the fight next time since Roy mm-hmm. was like, can you still fight? And she's like, yes, sir. So, mm-hmm. I guess we'll see what happens next time. She's only lost a little blood. Yeah. <laughs> she's still totally upright. fine. Yeah. But now she's upright. It's been mm-hmm. long enough with this other fight that she's probably, uh, you know, created she's some more blood. Some How long does it blood? take? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't take that long, right? <laughs> Just give her some orange juice and she'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> All the uh, imagery from the... We're kind of going through this episode in reverse of everything that yeah. happened in reverse, but I was thinking about the beginning where uh, uh, Father was really showing off God mode, where he, like, made the little son, and he, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. made the tornado thing, and all the souls. I really liked the imagery of all the souls coming out in the tornado thing and then going back into the people of Anemestris. Mm-hmm. That was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that soul void imagery is, like, when they use it for... Um... Ling inside greed and yeah, everything. And Kim, it's very... Kim Ling inside pride. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's definitely very. They look like a screaming um, void. Evocative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can definitely feel the screaming, swirling soul void. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. when you see it. I like Greed's like Greed face in the Soul Void too. Yeah, you haven't seen him in a while. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. He always looks kind of chuffed for some reason. Like he always looks mm-hmm. kind of happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just his, like the design of his little face, but mm-hmm. with his point, the horrifying pointy teeth, for example. A minor thing, I really like the shading on like Hohenheim when he's like fending off all of um, like father's attacks. Mm-hmm. Just like the bright light hitting him like like at the top of his head and like going down. It's just it's more like detailed, subtle shading than our car usually uses because mm-hmm. she likes the like black yeah. and white. Um, A very high contrast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, high contrast style. But... Same with like the one at the end where they're all getting like blasted by his attack mm-hmm. right at the end. Mm-hmm. Father's attack right at the end. That panel. It's really cool. Or that it's like the full page of all of them. Yeah. I like that. Uh-huh. Speaking of, of father and greed, the he used the dip. He used the dip to escape. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I always thought that that vat of goo was a philosopher's stone, but I guess it's just goo. I thought so too. Yeah, I think yeah. it like, because like when he first uh, put greed in it, it sort of like went through like a bunch of like distilling like, mm, that's right, that's like right, stuff yeah. before he like poured it out into the tiny little cup. And Yes. So I think it's... It's probably something that helps to like melt it back down to its like philosopher stone base. Mm. <laughs> it's like a distillery for, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> philosopher stones. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know what it is, but I always that's what I always thought it was. Mm-hmm. So, mm. I think just like brings back memories. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and then he tries to slam him with like a huge, like a uh, piece of rebar or something. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Which definitely doesn't work. I like, I, but it's mm-hmm. like I appreciate the chutzpah. Yeah, <laughs> but no, but of course he can break it. Like, mm-hmm. it's just really funny. Yeah, then I like him using the goo to kind of like shoot out of there. It was also really funny. Yeah. Did we talk about the goopy? Oh, the people. Um, Ew. Mm. Yeah. No, we didn't talk about that. The goop. They were goopy and yeah, gross. I was gonna say super oh. gross. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're horrifying too, where they mm-hmm. they pop out mm-hmm. and they're all like, "Yay, it's me!" And then they like turn back into goop immediately. It's like, yeah, well, mm-hmm. yeah like like Hohenheim's like horrified look as he like recognizes the people and like is zooming yeah. like almost getting sick when the like the baby, baby touches her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. definitely got some envy vibes to mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. very drippy, drippy. <laughs> <Trippy. laughs> <laughs> This is unrelated to that, but one thing that we also didn't talk about that was kind of covered in this was talking about the how all the information about um, Alcahestry was like purposefully excluded from mm. a, a mistress and like mm-hmm. her father placed a philosopher's stone below the soil in a mistress and like mm-hmm. that's how the the feeling of people moving around and stuff that the our friends from Sheen described when they mm-hmm. came to a mistress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that the the point of that was to be able to contr- like to more or less stop people's alchemy. I thought it was there to amplify it. Uh, the first time I watched the show, so um, I'm glad I got that clarification. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems to weaken it because yeah, like sense. after the uh, circle is activated, mm-hmm. it's like wow, like I barely transmuted, and look how much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What I thought originally when they were talking about the difference between a mystery and alchemy and the fact that father could turn it off when like before, like we saw before was father was basically able to 
give them access. Father was able to control mm-hmm. everyone in Amestris' access to alchemy. So I didn't realize that it was with the Philosopher's Stone. I assumed that they were like using the Philosopher's Stone. Like mm-hmm. instead that of... the power of the... Just... Mm-hmm. Yes, instead of the tectonic energy. Yeah, I think that's what it's supposed to be. because um... I think that's what Scar said. That's mm-hmm. what I said about him giving the power back to people. Yeah, because like even like back when they were like first uh, like explaining the differences, they're like, "Our alchemy comes from tectonic plates," and they're like, "Really? It doesn't feel like that." Or, hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So it's like now it's actually coming from the tectonic, tectonic plates, plates. <laughs> and they're like, "Wow, we're so powerful now." Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, not to drive the communism gag into the ground, but to control <laughs> the means of production. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like it's one person controlling. Yeah. It's one person. I mean, it's a gag, but it's real. It's really yeah. shown here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like we're joking, it's but really we're not. It's really a theme. <laughs> <laughs> we're only joking because I don't really know enough about like communism and like Marxist like writing and yeah. theory to be able to talk about it. But yeah, it's like mm-hmm. one person. One person came here and was controlling everyone else's ability to, to generate things right yeah that is mm-hmm. <laughs> that's yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then like the people up rise up and return <laughs> return their own power so there you go <laughs> this is it's, very it's definitely not not there yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's just I, that i can't really speak about it but <laughs> anyway it's so yeah so anyway even when they said that before like a long time ago i was assumed that the father was just in control of whatever power source alchemy and amestris was based off of yeah um Mm -hmm. and that it wasn't whatever they said but yeah so anyway so yeah now they have access to it which is great Mm -hmm. thanks scar's brother yeah (laughs) and that immediately uses it to make a over-the-top cannon because he's dead of course (laughs) yeah he's gonna go turn some more baby carriages into like little uh bomber things and (laughs) cars into cars with horns and Mm -hmm. stuff and yeah this cat has like spikes mm-hmm. and like a toothy mouth and stuff. <laughs> Classic. Mm-hmm. I like that when they're all rising up out of the out of the pit. Izumi's like pillar is like a little hand, right? Like it's holding mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And then Al's is like a perfect geometric, oops, a perfect geometric like cute, like a cube, like a rectangular cube, right? Mm-hmm. It's just slightly different. Yeah, it's very them. Yeah, yeah it was like the hand the, thing like... is something that all of them do, but. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always like the slight differences and like how we see different alchemists use like similar alchemy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Izumi made a cannon last time. Also, didn't she try to, sh- or was it this time? The the beginning of this time, she tried to shoot father with a with a cannon. I think it was last time. Yeah, I think it was last time. Mm-hmm. So uh, everybody's souls are returned, and now everybody can use alchemy without father's control anymore. So everything's good, right? Everything's mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Nothing else. Bad can happen, right? Of course. Right? Of course. No. <laughs> There's not two whole chapters left that are the length of a full volume of this story. <laughs> I'm really excited to finish this. Me too. It's... Mm-hmm. Mm. Then we can read it again, right? <laughs> yes. Constantly. Yep. For the rest of our lives. <laughs> Yay. Well, yep. Well, if that's all we got... I guess. Then, uh, next week, we're going to wrap things up. What? With this story, wow. chapters 107 and 108, plus uh, some Whoa. finale extras that are in the volume. Nice. I'm excited. Yep. Uh, remember to send your uh, questions and comments for our... Right. Um, oh, yeah. 
for our finale episode after the series finale, <laughs> to clarify for Cosm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Do it. Mm-hmm. Send them by September 8th at noon Eastern time to our various uh, social media properties. Mm-hmm. You can use our website. I posted on our Twitter and our Tumblr today, which is EquivexPod. Yeah, both of them are EquivexPod. Um, and they, there's instructions. So you can use Twitter, which is EquivexPod, as I said. You can use you can send an ask for our Tumblr, which is EquivexPod. You can email us at EquivexPod at gmail.com, or you can use the form on our site, which is like staytogethernetwork.com slash contact. All those things. And then we'll get your messages. We've already gotten some messages. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to answer questions. Yeah. Yeah. It should be a good time. Yeah. But until then, thank you all for listening. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. start like making youtube videos about kabbalah and turn that into a money-making opportunity (laughs) make my own youtube cult that's how it works right (laughs) yeah that's actualizing your (laughs) something i've been paying attention to kabbalah i know it (laughs) yeah you you understand i'm channeling the light of the creator (laughs) or whatever (laughs) into youtube (laughs) channeling the light of the creator into ad revenue (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) It's first step is like ad revenue, then it's like class revenue from classes, and then it's like then there's like some kind of weird underground <laughs> like sex ring, and people are getting branded. Isn't that what happened in Nexium? I forget. <laughs> <laughs> what I was about to say was in a few years, then you'll, it's like in the news, it'll be like like woman with YouTube channel now charged in cult related activity or whatever. <laughs> you know. Look forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> We'll be around to banter about flowers and shit. Probably in in (laughs) our next project, I imagine we'll have to banter even more. So stay tuned for that. (laughs) (laughs) Just imagine like one person who despises our banter, but has still listened to the podcast this long is like, son of a bitch. (laughs) We don't have to listen to our next thing. (laughs) Just kidding. You have to listen to our next thing. Yeah, you're contractually obligated. You should have read the fine print before you hit play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bowie says so too. Yeah. I don't remember if we said what we were doing. We were just like, we're going to do a Zelda podcast last time, right? Yeah. Well, I don't yeah. think we fully know what we're doing yet. So. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's okay. They can know that. We're all friends <laughs> now, right? We're all friends now. The peek behind the curtain of how how little we know what we're doing. <laughs> They've been with us since the... Well, some, of, some people have listened to the podcast since... Uh, the let's say together days when um i recorded in such a shitty way that your microphone sounded really bad and then it <laughs> and then we fixed that so they've been around through all our growth as a pod people making stuff people group mm-hmm. <laughs> we're still working on it <laughs> literally the story of my life i'm still working on it <laughs> that's the story of life mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyway, we can start on the, this topic of the day, I think. The summary of the day. <laughs> You're not a good boy. <laughs> now, Bird. They so step up and he's like, good boy, as he shuffles away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a good boy. And then he runs away. <laughs>
Uh, don't get animals, I can talk back. <laughs> Sometimes he just has to tell himself that he's a good boy. Positive affirmations mm-hmm. are important. Yeah. <laughs> this has been your esoteric bullshit lesson of the day. <laughs> I feel like this episode had a lot of esoteric bullshit, because... Ed just ripped someone's soul out of their body. <laughs> As you do. So, yeah, classic. <laughs> anyway, we should yeah, I think these these, um, I think these final chapters are where um, the esoteric bullshit meets Arakawa's love of B-movies head on. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I totally forgot about that. That's an <laughs> author's note from like the like a very early chapter. I forget it's which like one. It's like the first volume, the I think. The first volume. Yeah. 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 I love B movies, and it's like, no, really, I couldn't tell. Yeah. (laughs) Were you participating in that conversation on Discord about how the cardinal is the state bird for like nine states or something? It's like Mm. the most. Uh, No, but I chuckled over it because I was aware of that because I lived in North Carolina where the state bird is the cardinal, and I believe the state flower is the dogwood, and moved to Virginia where the state bird is the cardinal. Yes, and the flowers, the dogwood. Mm-hmm. Florida's is the orange blossom, which makes sense. It's not the, and their bird is the orange bird. <laughs> it's like, I hope it's an ibis, but I'm mm-hmm. sure it's not. It's probably a cardinal. <laughs> a lot of states also have like the mockingbird or whatever as their state bird. Mm-hmm. So. I think it's just because it's really identifiable, because you can hear it. So. Yeah. Mm. We're like, They're oh, also I hear that bird all the time. Looking Just like cardinals are, oh, I see that bird all the time. That red bird. I remember last year I saw a blue jay here, but I haven't seen any blue jays yet. It's the northern mockingbird for Florida. Yes, <laughs> yes I was right. I guess we had plant break instead of animal break today. <laughs> I totally forgot that I already started recording. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I just remembered. <laughs> Enjoy the flower talk. <laughs> I mean, I love talking about plants. I almost killed my African violet. I don't think I mentioned this in our group chat. I was, um, I re- had to, well, it had, so first of all, what happened is I repotted it and it, and then I think it, I don't remember if I mixed the soil or something, but there was mold that eventually grew in the soil. Mm. And it might've been because I replanted it outside or something, because I remember seeing similar mold just growing wildly on the, or growing outside on the yard, like on the, oh, in one part of the flower bed earlier this year. So anyway, so I saw this mold, and I treated it with cinnamon, because cinnamon has some kind of uh, anti, not antibacterial, has like anti-parasitic properties or something. Hmm. So um, I think it's anti-parasitic, I forget. Anyway, this is a common natural treatment for a lot of plant things. So I put some cinnamon on it, waited for it to kind of dry out, and then I decided to repot, like scoop out and repot that top part of the soil with something that, with brand new potting soil, so that it wouldn't be um, hopefully inoculated with mold. So then I did that, and I re-put it back in the plot, and then I, I watered it with, I took this, like, there was a spray bottle in the basement um, that I saw sitting there, and I grabbed it, and I was like, oh, good, there's probably, like, old distilled water in there. That's what would be in the spray bottle. I poured yeah. out the spray bottle, and I was like, why does it smell like vinegar? And then I remembered that Mike had made this window cleaning mixture for when we were selling our house to make the windows really clear <laughs> that was, like, it's, like, one part like water one part vinegar and it, this is like distilled cleaning vinegar so it's like extra strong and then like soap and i was like oh crap so then i i followed the um chemistry procedure of rinsing it as much as possible so i took the whole pot out and i rinsed the roots and rinsed the soil off the roots 
for like 10 minutes and then repotted it again. And I was like, well, let's see if this dies. And it, it's doing fine. So I guess it was fine <laughs> in the end. That was about a week ago. It was still alive. And the plant actually looks pretty happy. So I think it, <laughs> repotting it in the new soil was a good choice. <laughs> but it took a 10 minute, made a 10 minute errand into like a half an hour errand <laughs> or like a chore. I was like, I'm, I'm so stressed. My poor little violet. <laughs> 